0: Hello and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Dr. Stephen Patterson, who is an associate professor at and Asia Pacific University. Very nice to speak to you today, Stephen.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: The paper that we're going to be speaking about is a book chapter called A Levinsonian Account of Irony in Jonathan Coe's The Rotters' Club. Um I'm sure that our listeners have some idea about what irony is, particularly rhetorical irony, but I think it's probably best that we start with a definition from yourself. What is the definition of irony you were working with when you analysed this book?
1: Um, Well, that is a good question. Um, I would actually say that irony is very difficult to define and I, I haven't actually been working with a definition as such. Um, the background, um, of this research, um, it came sort of at the back end of my PhD work on irony. And that work um, was really, it kind of admitted that it's very difficult to define irony. So my approach was to actually just use attributes of irony. And it's kind of taking a step back in a way and it's very, I kind of ended up with quite a simplified um, set of attributes, um, which were kind of purposely strong and also to, to make them testable. So that the attributes that I used were not supposed to be the kind of, uh, they, they, they weren't supposed to be um, uh, su- uh, characteristic of all ionies. Um, it I mean, it was an opportunity to kind of test different ironies against them. And so that you could sort of start to identify how ironies how you can differentiate from one ion from, from another, for example they all have slightly different characteristics, which I think is why it's difficult to actually come up with one solid, single def- definition for irony. But I think by looking at the attributes of irony, mm. you can see how they're um, how different ironies are produced and how those attributes might be um, realized in, d- in different ways. Mm. Um, so, hmm, what would I say as a definition of irony? Um, I think, well, I, for me, I would say that there is opposition. Um, It could be a semantic opposition, or it could be an opposition which is um, um, more inferential. Um, um, I would say that they are critical in some way. Um, uh, They're certainly evaluatively negative in in some way, generally. Um, Other scholars working in irony would disagree with that, and they would say that they're they're not always negative. Um, I would say that... um, they um there's a clash between the context and what you're saying and they're very context dependent in that in that regard um and um uh there are various other aspects of them which i think are less important for example and um, there's more variety or more variation sorry so for example um you could it could be tone of voice um which would kind of make that what the opposition in what you're saying more em- it, it, you can produce more um, emphasis. Mm. You can emphasize the opposition more, but that's not that's not essential. Um, I think the way that we use gestures or gaze and so on, facial expressions as well, the parals- paralinguistic aspects, um, there's a lot of variation there. But they again, if you're trying to signal the irony more strongly, you would use paralinguistic aspects to, to do so. So again, I think the variation comes is related to our sort of s- schematic understanding as well, what, what we assume the our interlocutor will understand. Um, we can kind of va- vary the way we produce the irony uh, relative to the context, whether it's a more formal occasion, um whether it's more casual kind of social occasion with friends and so on, and what we expect our interlocutor to be able to pick up on. Um, so I think to because of the complexity of irony and how difficult it is, um, how how much variation there is depending on different contexts and so on, I think it, it's that's why it's so difficult to just come up with one definition of it. And I think by looking at the different attributes and how those attributes are realised, I think that's that that's the, that's the approach I took. Anyway, I, again, I don't think all scholars would agree with <laughs> the way I've done I've gone about that, um, but um, for me that was kind of useful useful thing to do. Um,
0: so yeah, Anyway. well, I, I think my understanding of it, um, mainly, I mean, we've had this conversation a lot, I mean, just to uh, set the table here, like we, we worked together for, for many years and you were doing your PhD at the same time I was doing my PhD and we, we have, um, shared a lot of conversations about, you know, our, uh, research interests. And I think what you bring up is, is, is important. The idea of it being context specific and it also being not necessarily only linguistic. Um, so there is there is a need to understand the background of the character. So you and I, having known each other for about fifteen years now, um, you would probably understand more if I was being ironic than someone who I met, you know, today, because we have that that shared um, background together. Um, you you bring up the idea that some people would say that it is a, a negative form. Some might, some would argue with that. Do you think that irony is um, is negative or is uh, you know ultimately self-deprecating or is potentially destructive to a communication, um, even even knowing all of these context-specific things.
1: Um, is it? Did you say destructive? Sorry.
0: Do, well, do you think that it it could undermine um, a conversation if someone is constantly being, uh, is constantly could. using this form? I
1: I think it could. I mean, I think there are probably situations where. Well, I mean, I, I work. Well, I mean, I there are colleagues that I work with now who use irony, and I but I work with in a faculty which is, which consists of people from various cultural backgrounds. And I, I do believe that irony is probably used in certain countries or within certain cultures more than it is in others. Um, so for those teachers that have a, um, that tend to use irony in their communication, um, I think there is always a risk involved. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you're, if you're in a meeting and you use, you use irony, well, some people may take what you're saying at face value, <laughs> depending on how strongly you're right. signaling it. Others may pick up on the irony. And so what's being communicated then becomes something quite quite different and can lead to confusion, For potentially mm. could lead to confusion. Um, I think that um, I know that some people would say that, that um, irony would not be appropriate to use, for example, in a, in a consultation with a doctor, for example, a doctor and a patient consultation, um, I think there are occasions when that, that could be appropriate. <laughs> it depends who's using the iron, as far if it's coming from the doctor to the patient, maybe not so much. But um, so, yeah, I think, is it critical? I think it, it, it is because I think irony tends to be used where there's some kind of a conflict um, but what I mean by conflict isn't necessarily in the argumentative sense. Um, it could be between um, an expectation and the reality that you're faced with, for example. Um, so the expectation, you mentioned self-deprecation, so I suppose the expectation could be what you expected yourself to be capable of, for example, and maybe you weren't able to to do to perform as you'd hoped, so then it could be used against yourself. Um, I guess that would be self-deprecation, um, but it also could be, you know, the fact that you're going on a hike in the mountain or something. The weather forecast had suggested that the weather was going to be fine for a hike, and then you have a torrential downpour or something. This is a very typical example of irony. Mean, so then you say something like, "Oh, what a lovely day for a hike" or something like that. Um, so then your expectation again is being confounded by the weather conditions. Um,
0: but also the, the the context itself would make it clear that you were joking if you're both if you're both together in the downpour then there's there's no way the other person you know absent significant head trauma uh would believe that you that that you actually believed they were having good weather now um it, you bring up you bring up a <laughs> You bring up a good point here, um, and I want to uh, talk specifically about the, the book chapter. So once again, we're talking about a, a chapter in a book. It's called uh, "Elevensonian Account of Irony" in Jonathan Coe's *The Rotter's Club*. And uh, you, in your introduction, you bring up the fact that this is set in uh, 1970s Birmingham, um, which uh, immediately as a a British person and you you note some of the historical things that are going on at the time, the National Front, the IRA, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, trade union disputes, uh, etc. But um, as someone who is from the United Kingdom, you basically just have to bring up Birmingham in the 1970s. And and already I have a mental image of of what's going on there. So do you think that, uh, and you can relate to the things that you bring up in the chapter as well, do you think irony is a, not uniquely, but is uh, a kind of uh, something, a foundational aspect of British humour?
1: It's certainly important in Britain, yes, I would say so. Um, I think there's, I can kind of remember almost as a, going from being a 10-year-old boy into my teens, that I was kind of going through the process of picking up on that (laughs) and the fact that oh yeah i think when i was a 10 year old boy i became very lost maybe in sort of listening to adult conversations around me and thinking what are they talking about but then gradually you kind of you do you kind of i think you have to learn pragmatics right it's not just something that's automatic so you have to have practice at it and Mm -hmm. um and so yeah, I think, as you said, you become tuned into to irony and then you start to pick up on it and it becomes more automatic. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I, I would say that irony is very much a foundational part of uh, British humour mm. and it's in the service of satire and so on. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I would agree with that. Yes. Um, I haven't looked at other cultures, so I don't know to what extent it's sort of so foundational in other cultures, but um, in British culture, I'd say, yeah, quite confident that it is. It <laughs> doesn't mean everyone who's British
0: gets it, but um, yes. <laughs> but. Well, it, it, it comes down to, and uh, I use in one of my, um, in one of my classes, I use the the book, The the Culture Map, and one in the very first chapter is on the topic of high context, low context communication. Mm-hmm. And uh, high context communication tends to be if you look at the way that it's arrayed on the on the on the Klein, uh, high context tends to be in uh, in Asia, and low context tends to be in anglophone um, countries like um, the USA, Canada, um, and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But UK is kind of in the middle, right in the middle of that. Right. And given that irony is such a high context form of mm. communication you have to know all of the background to it in order to realize that you're making a joke mm-hmm. um and you have lived in uh, japan probably longer than i have
1: a of time, yeah. around
0: about 20 years and so do you think that the japanese get irony if they understand that you're telling a joke that, that it's supposed to be ironic? Do you think that they're easier to pick up on the on the clues, the contextual clues that this is not, this is not real, this is not your real opinion that you're saying?
1: Right, well, I mean, I haven't tried anything too sophisticated, um, <laughs> but, um, but in terms of the weather, <laughs> which is, I mean, <laughs> I think that's something that also unites Japanese and British, probably the, Agreed. In the weather. Um, I, I think if I was to come into class and it, it was very cold, or it's very wet outside, or there's typhoon rain approaching, or something. And I said, "Oh, it's great weather we're having today," mm. or something. I think my students would pick up on that, and they would realize I'm trying, attempting to be funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I people sometimes say that Japanese maybe are, un, are not capable of using irony or understanding irony, but I disagree with that, and I think mm. I think they actually do use irony. <laughs> uh, some, sometimes, maybe not to the extent that well, certainly not to the extent that British people do, but I I think they have a word for it. Niku, so I think it's it's used. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, one thing I'm interested in is whether it can actually be taught. And I I think in a very if we if you start off with simple irony like ones I've just been describing to do with weather, then I, I'm I'm I think students can quite quickly get that.
0: And it's, it's um, irony in and of itself, it, it's not, and I remember having this conversation with you and uh, a former Canadian colleague of ours, who I remember you put out an email requesting uh, examples of irony, and he sent you back a very long email. Actually, he sent, he, he did a reply all uh, and sent back a very long email, if you remember. And most of them are examples of coincidence which is it's not ironic like um it's a it's a common trope um with you know trying to uh describe semantics that the Alanis Morissette song ironic Mm -hmm. nothing in there is irony it's all coincidence that's
1: right
0: 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife yeah that's a coincidence it's not ironic so let's talk a little bit about the idea of teaching it I mean do you have any examples of in maybe not necessarily irony but use of humor in your language teaching
1: actually not so much <laughs> <laughs> um, but coming back to the if I can I'm sort of not answering your question here but coming back to what you just said about the coincidence hmm. and so on I think these again are coming that that's really coming back often and the good London is head song um, that they are basically references to situations which have kind of compounded your expectations again Mm -hmm. so i think you could talk about them as being um maybe irony biasing or context or context which invite the use of irony Mm -hmm. but they're not irony themselves so i think this also relates to this idea of ironic so you say something's ironic and this kind of accommodates so much more than just irony. So when I talk about irony, I'm talking about the actual production of irony. Oh, it, ha-
0: it has to be a produced situation. It's not It's not something that is just situational. It has to be thought through.
1: If I'm talking about irony, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, um, so they, if that situation may invite irony. So I think you talked about, um, what did you say? 10000 spoons when what was it <laughs> Well, the, well the, the
0: line from the song is 10000 spoons when all you need is a knife
1: ah uh, okay okay so then i suppose you that would inf- there's a possibility there to actually produce irony because you're not you you're criticizing the situation in the sense or you
0: okay. well it, dep- it depends what you say about it if you're you're just like oh great this is this is a great knife mm. as you hold up a spoon mm. <laughs> that's that's constructed it's it, about the situation yeah, yeah
1: that's right that's right um how would you go about teaching it um i think i haven't really attempted to teach I and mean, i don't have the scope unfortunately in my classes to do mm-hmm. that um for my, in most of my classes um but um i think i you would you would need to have provide a context obviously so mm-hmm. you'd have a situation and um then i think what you could do is have a short dialogue uh, between two people in that particular situation. And you could start off with one that's just straightforward. So this person said, uh let's try to think of a situation. Ugh, can I just stick to the weather situation? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's probably easier at this stage. Um, so, okay, two people go out for a walk together and there's torrential rain. And, okay, so you give them a situation, something like that. And then you could have a short dialogue. And um uh so for example, one person says, Oh no, it's raining, oh yes, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's so it's it's raining so hard. Uh and then maybe someone says, Oh, let's go home, or whatever. So uh, that could be one, but then you could if you teach irony and show and the kind of basic elements of irony that should be critical in some sense, that they're going to use an opposition of some kind. Um, then you could have them play part of a dialogue so that they Conveying the same thought processes as they're not happy with the weather, um, but they're doing it through through an alternative means, which is um, the ioni. But I think then also um, ioni is a very economical way of communicating because mm-hmm. as well as um just conveying you can convey so much more through ioni than just saying, uh, oh, this weather's terrible. Um, by just saying this weather's terrible, you're not really conveying this idea that you had. These other expectations of a nice day for your walk, for example. So I think letting allow teaching students that, that that, that there's so much more involved in language than just understanding the surface meaning for a start. And then irony is one case where you really need to go beyond the surface meaning to really understand it, but also to show how rich the language is in that in that sense. um, i think is i think that's really important i mean it's not only just iron it's any figurative language and what kinds of um language i think involves this inferencing process which um getting students to pick up on that i think is is re- is really important for them to fully understand
0: yeah and and it, this like again back when we were working together we we we've we've put together curricula we've put together syllabi we've we've built courses and chosen textbooks and a, a lot of um our work as, well, when we both worked together as um, uh, course coordinators, it was about trying to enthuse these things in the teachers. It was to be like, this is not a mechanical operation. You're trying to get teachers. Uh, students not just to speak english but to be interested in language and realize you know these transferable qualities yeah. that one language is not particularly different from another in the way that it operates semantically mm-hmm. i mean the words are going to be different the grammar structure is different yeah. pronunciation etc mm-hmm. but uh, there are these deep um connections because language is the way that we code our experience with you know not to be too highfalutin with the universe this is this is how we uh, connect to each other so um in in connection to that uh, i know you've been um investigating irony for um decades now um but but the texture well <laughs> textual analysis right um has this changed the way that you interact with texts, the way that you read a book, for example, um, the one that the book that we're talking about here in the chapter that you wrote, uh, are you able to kind of switch off that analytical mode and just enjoy a movie, enjoy a book, without thinking about how you're going to write the uh, the analysis of it later?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a single person <laughs> so I can, I can just, I can, yeah, that's that's not a problem. I mean, I suppose with irony, there was a time when I was working on on my PhD. I had to collect, as you as you referred to earlier, um our Canadian colleague did send me some examples of mm-hmm. um, potential ironies anyway. And um, so I was having to collect these ironies, and that, that I had a, ended up with a database of around 550 ironies. And I, a lot of irony studies have focused in on they've used constructed examples Hmm. and that's fine but there's always a danger then that you're constructing your ironies to fit the theory that you're trying to use to understand those ironies right I didn't want to do that so I was trying to do it from a bottom-up approach and just be as empirical as I possibly could be about it so I, I wanted to collect ironies from all kinds of different um sources so for example radio podcasts like this um from novels, films, tv, um, newspapers, magazines and so on um and so I had to have my kind of radar kind of on the go as I was reading anything because it is a time-consuming process you don't know when you're going to encounter an irony you have to just pick them up as you can so um, Mm. um so I think at that time probably my my I was extra sensitive to like I need to find irony so I was looking out for it so whenever I was watching something I had half an eye on that 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 on what was being said in terms of building my my database but I wouldn't say it affected my enjoyment of it I could still enjoy the irony um uh, but yeah uh probably now I'm not, not doing that quite so much but even so, something sort of think, oh, that's a that's beautiful irony there. And I might like to have a go at analysing that at some point. But um, but the analysis always comes later. I, I at the time I'm just enjoying
0: it. Well, let's talk about specifically the, the chapter that, that you wrote and the book that you chose. What about this book uh kind of drew you to it in order to go as in-depth as you did in the an- analysis of it? What, what was it specifically about? Um, the rotters club that made you think that this was a good not only example of literary irony mm-hmm. but also that interested you enough to produce this work
1: okay um well again this this novel was actually part of the process of building a database initially um so i know that jonathan coe is a humorous writer so i thought okay he's this, this probably a good bet for some irony and he's british as well we've already talked about the fact that irony tends to be used in humour to quite a large degree um so i just so initially that's that's why i read the novel um and then i was as i was reading it it's not full of irony but it's it has enough iron in there i could collect some examples and um and so yeah that was why i'd read the book initially um and um, I'd had a well, this it's an edited um, book as you, as you said. It's a chapter within, within edited volume, and um, I'd actually had a meeting with the editors and my supervisor, and um, so I'd, I've been working with Levinson, and not many people have used I think anyway, apart from Levinson himself. I don't think many people have used Levinson to talk about iron. So. Um, this particular book is um pragmatics and literature. And um there's that the, the editors have obviously remembered um that I'd been uh, looking at um I was it was the sun we were all looking at sun also rises um by Hemingway, but we're mm-hmm. all seeing it from a different um using a different pragmatics theory and We just sat down and had a discussion and talked about it from our different perspectives, depending on which which um, pragmatic theory we were representing. Um, so they remembered that I worked with Levinson, and there aren't so many of us out there, I don't think. So <laughs> uh, when they were putting this book together, they kind of just asked me whether I'd contribute a chapter uh, using Levinson and, and a novel. And um, I thought um I I've obviously read Jonathan Coe's novel. Um, it had a set of ironies in it, so I and which to some extent are related. Um, to each other, so I I just thought that would be a, a good option um, hmm. to, to use, um, yeah. Um, and this idea of conflict comes through quite a lot as well, I think, in the novel. And Irony does always, often get used at points of conflict, I think. Um, so it gave some coherence to to the paper as a whole, I think. Um,
0: so you you, yeah. you you bring up the idea of uh, uh, conflict. Do you, are you thinking that this is, uh, um, is, the, is it part of the is an important part of the context of. So is using irony Mm. in and of itself Mm. creating a conflict that you believe the person who's listening to it Mm. is going to diffuse because they understand the context? Because just to use your weather analogy, um, if you go up to the top of a hill in a a rain school and Mm. say, what a fine view we have To enjoy today, Mm. and the other person completely misunderstands that you're just saying it ironically. Mm -hmm. um, Does that create a conflict? And you're you're kind of Mm. believing that the person you're talking to is going to diffuse the conflict Ah. by the context.
1: Well, I I suppose it's it's the the Gricean idea of being cooperative. So um, if you, I I think this well Grice. Gricean and pragmatics, um, the underlying principle is that we're cooperative. When we're <laughs> um, so I think what I don't, I don't quite obey, by diffusing, uh, as you mentioned, I think if that's the, the recipient understanding that you are actually being cooperative. So even though what you've said may seem nonsensical in some respect on the surface, they they're expecting you to make the inferences which would repair those aspects of right. what you said to to make sense of what you've said within the context um if that i don't i'm not sure if that's what you mean by diffuse but i don't think you're creating conflict
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> necessarily i think it's sort of it's it's almost pointing up a conflict as i said sort of between what your expectation whether it's a conflict between your values and and somebody else's values or something like that, so that would be your expectation of how people should behave, for example. Um, I think it's it's a pointing up of a conflict between a certain situation and your beliefs or your values or your hopes or or, or so on. So I don't think it's necessarily creating a conflict.
0: But you- it's it's a. I, I always look at it in terms of the way that we learn heuristically is as you say, through expectation, like what sets us apart from other creatures is the ability to project your existence, one minute, 10 minutes, five years, 10 years into the future, and make decisions today based on these expectations. So in language, I have used the example in the past of a student um, when I, who, who came into my class at the beginning of the day? Uh, and I said, Good morning, and he said, And you? And I said, Okay, well, stop. You have jumped forward several levels of expectation there. It's supposed to be like, Good morning, good morning, how are you? I'm fine, and you. Um, but he had just, you know, automatically gone to, you know, I want to get to the end of this interaction, so I will say the expected last thing.
1: Right,
0: right. And that that's a way in terms of like rhetorical or spoken irony it's kind of setting up uh it's kind of breaking that chain of expectation
2: Mm.
0: that you look out at at the clouds at the rain and say wow it's raining but as you point out that doesn't add anything to the conversation because we can both see it's raining so um in in and in the chapter that that you that you write about um, were there any, you know, how was how was irony, as you uh, understood it, uh, expressed? Was it between the the characters in the chapter? Was it between uh, their a single character and their situation? What were the examples that you brought up?
1: Okay, well, there are kind of a range of examples. So um, sometimes it's character to character. Um, there was one which was more complex because um the irony was it was sort of a fiction within of the fiction as it were, um which is m- more difficult to kind of uh, analyze out <laughs> uh, but um so then uh so for well anyway, it was a contributor to a to a newsletter and it was set in, it was a school newsletter, and one pupil at school um was, was making had this kind of series of contributions to the newsletter in which um they were sort of taking on a new persona, in a, in a sense and the irony was sort of coming out through that but that was based on your knowledge of the character who was supposedly contributing to this this newsletter to understand that they were being ironic as they as mm. in, in their con- within these um contributions to the newsletter and but then there are others where it was kind of accidental irony and again you're for all intents and purposes it looks like something I mean, for example this cup of coffee which has this very sort of mottled surface um is brought to one of the characters and they say oh this is thank you for thank you so much for this wonderful beverage you brought to me or something like that i can't remember the exact words i'm so sorry but um they've just been trying out some some new words which they've been learning to try and impress their wife who who's who was being sort of Attracted to the art teacher at the school, um, but by but this was accidental um, irony and not actual irony, um, and we only know that because of the, our knowledge of that of that character and what a mm. sort of character he is and wouldn't use irony in that situation with um, someone who's actually kind of more senior in his workplace. So there, there, were, there, and there was also some an example of dramatic irony, which I don't think is irony at all. Um, but it's, it's somewhat related to irony, I suppose. Um, and so they were, they were, they were all quite, quite different examples, I, I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought that the, the things that you, you pick out are, are, are demonstrative of, uh, irony, but also that, you know, as you point out that there can be accidental irony, situational irony um you know in one case of...
1: the narrator also is being um using irony so it's it's coming through from the narrator so it's distinct from any of the characters it's it's kind of from the, the narrator to the narrating
0: right so the when it as you say like it spoken from the first person the inconsistent narrator also makes the possibility for ironic interaction mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, just to move on slightly, but but the reason why I, I like I, I liked your chapter and I, I liked your work is because I know uh, you, and I know specifically the context where you work. So Ritsumeikan APU, for people who may not know, um, half the student population comes from outside Japan, and I think the number is about eighty-five percent of the faculty are either from outside. Uh, the country or received their final qualification from uh, outside Japan. So it is truly a a unique place to um, study and uh, to work and I I, I do appreciate my experience there. Um, Could you tell us something about, um, for example, in the language use on uh, campus, do you notice that your students get a, a kind of different input, they they do get a a better quality of understanding. So they, you know, students obviously are using a variety of languages on campus. Uh, English is kind of the second language for everyone on campus. It's like a a shared second language. It's a shared linguistic resource. Um, How do you notice that this, uh, you know, affects students' ability to, you know, their, their linguistic competence, as it were, uh, not just learning a language, but also learning um, the culture and kind of like the, the deeper background, the contextual background to the language?
1: Well, that's a very difficult question, I think. I know, I know, sorry, sorry, but it, um, it's... But, um, I, I, because they're not, I, well, you talked about the contextual background of the language, but because it's so diverse, there isn't one contextual background right. that they're dealing with. So. Um, I think that means it's very hard to that, that's a very hard question to answer. I I, I think. Um, but I mean, well, um the students certainly do have those opportunities to um use the language in more everyday situations. So I think if they're we have a dormitory um on we have a number of dormitories on, on next on campus or close to the campus. And Um, So students are obviously able to try the language out there and pick up, sort of try out different ways of using language and they're also going to be um, experiencing different uses of the language in different contexts, I guess, as they as they live in those dormitories and interact with people from different cultures Um, in terms of how I'm not sure we've done any studies specifically on that. Uh, so it's, again, I wouldn't like to make any claims for it, but um, but you do notice sometimes in class, of course I notice in class students using language, which I haven't taught them and they've picked up from somewhere. <laughs> and I imagine that's come through interactions with students from different cultures and, and countries, um, at, at, probably in the dorms and other situations where they find themselves, yeah and
0: um, there certainly are those opportunities on campus that's right irony is uh, as as you pointed out at the very beginning a, a very context specific thing but it is a form of uh relationship building i mean we talked about it being possibly um negative or it requires some kind of negative concept to it, but it also has a has a positive aspect to it if i say something that is ironic in front of you, I'm trusting you yeah. that you're going to pick up on it, and and you you bring up the the you brought up the idea of uh, meetings and people using irony in with people from different cultural and linguistic backgrounds and possible you know miscommunications that occur um, from that. Now, so which makes uh, irony kind of a high level form of negotiation yeah. between the two people who are speaking. Um, so negotiation, of course, being changing language, changing grammar, changing uh, stress patterns, and also you, you rightly bring up gesture and other forms of um, communication. Uh, how much of this concept of negotiation are you able to include in your classes to make students you know, more able to, you know, as you say, when they're in situations where they need to use, a, a second language that they feel more confident uh to use it
1: mm. um okay um that's a very good question <laughs> um again i don't know if we have a great deal of scope for that um um i i would like i'm not really going to answer your question here but one <laughs> one area that i i'm particularly interested in reading at the moment and mm. so not really the kind of communication you're referring to but i do feel that um, even I'm interested in pragmatics and right. in general, and reading, and I think um, students need to develop that pragmatic understanding really too. And going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, um, to really fully understand the, the language, what's being communicated, and the, and the richness of the language, and how creative it can be actually. Um, so, um, what I'm trying to do now is to ha- help students to pick up and maybe coming back to that di- idea of having radar. I was talking about i had to have my radar and kind of full power to pick up on and mm. whatever i was reading or watching um but st- students need to be able to do that too just to make even those small inferences as they're reading to understand exactly what the writer is communicating mm. and i'm not sure they always have that sense and many students are that they don't have the confidence to do it I think in, in some respects so they're, they're just dealing with the surface meaning at the lower levels so to get them beyond that to actually understand what is being communicated um, I think is a it's a very long process and I think reading is one way we can do that and then hopefully then it would come out through interactions face-to-face you know verbal interactions but so even really simple things like the use of scalar implicature so for example there were there were many people who um didn't hand in their papers today or something like that <laughs> whatever it happens to be so but um they they there's even an implicature involved there so the fact that many is used rather than this this produces a negative implicature um so not all so many students didn't didn't hand in their paper today means some did so mm. if they if the author or well, whoever if the speaker or the meant all they would have used all so this is a negative implicature now maybe it's not that important, and maybe most students would get that, but still <laughs> mm-hmm. looking being able to that this idea of looking at the language choices and what language the author you know reading is using and those, those choices are important and are kind of conveying something about the meaning that there's an additional meaning about what the author is trying to convey to the reader mm-hmm. um use a metaphor for example um there, there there are so many kind of examples where this, the 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 writer is relying on the reader to make these inferences to really understand what's being conveyed you talked about this earlier when if you said something to me, if you used irony with me, you'd be sort of trusting me to get it. So that then there's it, it creates a kind of it's, it becomes affiliative because I've understood what you're saying. It shows a kind of bond in a sense. This called we've got this kind of contextual, un- sort of shared contextual understanding, cultural background, perhaps, and and so on. So it becomes affiliative in that in that sense. um There's uptake. <laughs> so I, I think. Yeah, irony is as you say. it's maybe a high level example of this but there's a lot of kind of lower level inferences which are also important and it's kind of building up i think towards those higher level inferences but we i think with reading especially it's such a invisible kind of language skill it's it's kind of bringing that out and asking the right questions so you can actually gauge how much students are picking up on um, and some of it maybe is not so important, but I think in some cases it is. <laughs> mm. um, and yeah, um, I mean, I going towards irony, I think we're coming back to that idea of how would you test that? Um, I think you could, again, you could give them different situations and ask them, you know, is B's response irony or not irony depending and if they're picking up if they've understood the context then they can maybe start to kind of understand when irony was and when irony is being used and when it's not being used i mean you could use um you uh towers. <laughs> for example i think you've you've talked to me about 40 towers before and you could start to to a higher level students i think you could start to expose them to some comedy like that and and then have them try to identify examples of irony sort of short excerpts from a TV program like that, for example.
0: Well, I mean, you you bring up a, an interesting point in terms of testing because uh, just the basic concept the the basic concept of irony is something that is clearly not related to the context, but is either spoken or or or, or written or. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm teaching uh, my eldest son now the uh, Aiken, oh. which is a, a Japanese standardized test. And one of the questions that comes up is, as you say, the expected answer. So some, just to use the example, um, someone asks, how are you? Then the options might be Sunday, I'm fine. Marmalade sandwiches, go away. Right. And, and so the, you know, D, is an is unexpected, but does connect to the situation. That could be correct. B would be the expected answer. So the question would always be, "What is the expected answer to this question?" Right. And on a very basic level, that is building a concept of uh, understanding irony because it is uh, what comes uh, after the question is unexpected,
2: right?
0: But is potentially humorous based on the connection between, based on the context the connection between the people and and things like that. So, um, I've looked in the past at the possibility of, and and that's at a very basic level, that's at like Aiken, you know, five or pre four level. Um, and I've looked in, in possibility in the past, as you say, of bringing up the showing a video and saying what was the unexpected element to it or when you're doing debate, uh, like debate classes actually do include an element of uh, expectation because there are such things as snuck premises. Mm-hmm. So when someone like ostensibly is giving just an outline but includes an opinion in it. Mm-hmm. and if you don't call it out, then you know, in um, in mooting, when you uh, you know when you're putting together like a fake court case, you might say you might be laying out the facts of the case, but when you say and when this person made this egregious decision, right. then how did you respond to it? And you have to be like, okay, that that is the snuck premise. Right. You are exactly you are including opinion as fact, yeah. and that is a form of if you can get students to identify things like snuck premises or uh, unexpected um implications as you, as you brought up i think that's that is a, another way that uh, you could teach it without it going to a very high level of trying to work out where john cleese is being ironic although i would love to do that in class <laughs> <laughs>
1: um no yeah i think that that makes that makes good sense um i was just m- reminded of uh, an example of our only actually was you were talking um from a simon gray play um which i have analyzed him um and um and uh it's it's called the rear column and um one person is essentially dying from malaria he's in um in africa and um but his um his uh commanding officer um has refused to give him um any um quinine for his uh for his malaria because he's worried about his um commanding officer mm-hmm. <laughs> and the use of the supplies and anyway he comes in and is asking oh where where has this malaria gone where where's the quinine gone to you know where what's happened to our supplies and this person is basically lying in a severe fever um says oh fine thanks thank you for asking um so actually his commanding officer hasn't asked him how he is (laughs) he's kind of skipped this this stage so it's a bit kind of the opposite in terms of what you were just saying Mm -hmm. Um, there's there's an element of this normal what you'd normally expect in terms of kind of pragmatically what you would expect in this, this social um situation someone's sick in front of you uh there's one point that's missing and he's kind of picking up on that and there's a that that's irony i would say um um yeah um so yes again that that's sort of connected to what you were just saying in a kind of way of of testing if there's if if you have this uh uh, i like a script a regular Mm regular script for how this particular kind of social action interaction would play out and there's one part that's missing or it's unusual (laughs) it's marked in some way then um yeah i think that's one way of testing it as i think you were sort of suggesting before
0: well i'm reminded of the the scene from the west wing when uh, toby finds out that the president has ms and confronts him in the oval office and lays out all the evidence that he knows that something's going on and you're not telling me this and Leo's standing there and just like just just fear, like the the secret's gonna come out and the uh, response that President Bartlett says is I'm fine by the way (laughs) which is exactly which is the thing you're like we've we've skipped like you should be concerned about me
2: right
0: not you should be confronting me about the lie right are we not friends The first thing you should ask is, are you okay, Mr. President? But yeah, the the
2: compounded hmm. expectation
1: there, what you would expect from from the other person in that situation.
0: Yeah. And I think that uh, that is um, it's it's the it's the kind of minimal level of text analysis, whether written or spoken, that I think we can include in language classrooms where you you say, well, how has this broken from the norm? Like it's, it's something that's missing from, um, I don't want to go on a rant about it, but systemic functional linguistics, which basically breaks everything down to a mathematical level, but there's nothing, there's no heart to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that the reason I was drawn, I was drawn to your work, you know, in the past, but also the work that we're talking about today, uh, there's a lot of heart there because it requires the reader to interact and think about the context and, you know, you know connect with the characters and you know actually feel emotion rather than just receiving information
1: um well i mean you talked about how i whether i do have opportunities to teach irony in my (laughs) classes and in my regular classes not so it's not so the texts don't allow for it if you see what i mean Um, um but i do teach one course um which is an advanced level course which uses literature short stories and um i actually it's a it's it, it's a stylistics course essentially so i am but i'm using a lot of pragmatics i could be using speech act theory Grice's theory um even possible worlds theory i've been using more um, recently and um i i have the students kind of learn the basics of those theories, and then they actually go into those stories and because they're advanced level learners i want them to kind of dig in Mm. To, to the language a little bit more and not just skip over it but to actually kind of understand it at a slightly deeper level And i think it as, as advanced level students they can do that and i think that's probably what they need to build that kind of pragmatic awareness actually and i've i purposely chose short stories which have a lot of dialogue in them so mm. they can yeah and they can analyze the interactions between characters and um start to understand <laughs> How, how the language can be used more creatively and those the inferences which are involved in, in really understanding. Um, and then irony does occasionally um, prop up in those in those stories. So at those points, yeah, I do have a chance to, to um, kind of help, help students along with that and to understand um, how irony works. Um, and some of them do get it almost immediately. They, they don't need my help with identifying the irony, but others need to be kind of guided through that. Um, So yeah, I think that that brings up the question of when is it actually appropriate to try to even uh, teach irony to to students if they if they're really dealing with the surface level at the lower levels of our program. Iron is too it's too soon. Mm. (laughs) Um, So that's that's another difficult question. I think actually is at what at what point should you even attempt to introduce the idea of irony to students and and develop their understanding of that um, some, some people might say even trying to focus in on implicature and inferences at, at, to a, at, at an early stage is not appropriate either and students should only be dealing with that kind of surface straightforward kind of use of language. Um, I kind of disagree with that I think you can you can start to develop that their ability to make it the appropriate inferences at quite an early stage but um that's something i'm kind of looking at now so i i that's what i want to that's what i'm looking at going forwards for the next 10 years or something <laughs> um, but yeah
0: um that's that, that that's great i mean i'm all about however much i get into research and other tasks that are required of me i i always uh come back to language teaching as my base. So anywhere that that can be brought in, that that's great. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Stephen. Um, the chapter we've been talking about is a Levinsonian Account of Irony in Jonathan Coe's The Rotters Club. And I wish you all the best with uh, this work that uh, you, you have ahead of you. And also, I, I hope that we get the chance to speak about it again in the future.
1: Me too. Thank you very much
0: for having me today. If you'd like to contact the show, The best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.